want to thank Pastor Caleb for filling in last week while our family was away on vacation. He did a great job. We really appreciate his ministry here in our church. I was thinking about uh, one of our trips away as a family. Last summer, we had the opportunity to go out west. We had a conference I had to go out and do in California, and then we, we actually drove home. We rented a vehicle, and we drove home from California and got to see some amazing things. And one of my favorite things on that trip out west, aside from all the beautiful landscape, and there is some incredible things to see out west, but one of my favorite things about that trip was being on roads where the speed limit was 85 miles an hour. It was incredible. It was almost like there was no limits on how fast uh, you could go. Now, I don't know who gets to pick the limits, right? I don't know uh, who it is in government or where. I don't know how that's all decided, whether that's done sometimes at a local level or state level. I'm not sure how that all happens. Like, who gets to pick the limits on speed? But if I was in charge of that job, if that was my job, I'm telling you, there would be some numbers changing on some signs for sure. Now, I know, right? Another speed person in the room. I love it. You know, one of the things uh, that I, I just drives me up a wall when we go down to Hagerstown, that road from Breezewood, right, Route 70. Eh, you know what I'm talking about. So from Breezewood to Hagerstown, that Route 70, it's a four-lane highway. That thing's designed for 70, 75 mile an hour, and it's posted at 55, and it's like, I, uh, as, I don't want to get a ticket, so I try to go 55, 60 in there, and there's people that are flying by, and it always drives me up a wall. And maybe you're like that. Uh, maybe not necessarily when it comes to posted speed limits, but maybe there's some things in life where you, you just feel like, and if I was in charge, if I was the one setting the limits, if I was the one drawing the boundary lines, I would do it way different than the ones that have been drawn. I would set completely different limits than the ones that have been established. Maybe uh, we have, in this community, we have those who like to hunt and fish. And I, I hear complaints uh, from uh, people that are into that, uh, that maybe if you were in charge, you would have different limits on hunting, different limits on fishing, right? You would do it differently. Uh, maybe those of you who are working on your taxes right now, a lot of us are working on our taxes, and maybe you're like, man, if I was in charge of the taxes, I would have a completely different way of doing this. I would set the laws up completely different than this madness that we have uh, to work through. Maybe, maybe you would set completely different limits on where it's okay to wear yoga pants. Like home and gym, that's it. You can't wear yoga pants anywhere else. Maybe that's would be... Maybe that would be a limit that you would set. You didn't see that one coming, did you? You didn't know I was going to. How about this? When it comes to sexual morality, when it comes to sexual morality, who gets to draw the boundary line on that? When it comes to sexual morality, who, who gets to set the limits on sexual morality? Is it you? Are you the one we should trust to set the limits? Are you the one we should trust to draw the boundary lines? Maybe it's our government. Should we trust the government to set up the boundary lines and to set the limits? How about our culture? Our culture surely is going to get that one right. Surely we can trust our culture that we live in to draw the boundary lines about sexual morality. They're going to get that one right every time, right? 
obviously you're in a church right now, so you know where I'm going with it. Uh, we, we need to explore together the reality that uh, God needs to be the one to draw the boundary lines. God's the one who gets to set the limits. It's not you and it's not me when it comes to sexual morality. This whole series, as we walk through the book of 1 Corinthians together, it's about how applying God's truth to our everyday lives is going to make life better. And that's certainly true when it comes to sexual morality, but here's the, here's the deal. When it comes to this issue, when it comes to the issue of sexual morality, you're not going to come to that conclusion. You're not going to come to the conclusion that God's wisdom applied to sex in your life is the best way to live life. You're not going to come to that conclusion until you answer the question, who gets to, who gets to draw the boundary line? Who gets to set the limits on sexual morality until you come to the conclusion that God's the one who gets to draw the line, God's the one who gets to set the limits. You're not going to come to, to understand or believe that the wisdom of God is what you should be applying to those standards in your life. If you believe it's you, if you believe it's the government or the culture, what we're talking about today is not where you're going to land. There's a really good reason why I'm not the one who should be setting the speed limits on our roads. If I was in charge of setting the speed limits on our roads, they would not be set at safe speeds. And I would have a different speed limit for me than for you. Because I don't trust you. You can't drive as good as me. Right? You may not believe that, but that's how we think. That's how we would set limits. That's how we draw boundary lines in our lives. I have a different set for me than I do for you. You have a different set for yourself. That's how we would do it than you would for other people. It'd be a mess. It would be a mess. There's a really good reason why God is the one who gets to draw the boundary line for sexual morality, there's a really good reason why God is the one who gets to set the limits, not you, not me, not the government, not the culture. Here's the thing. When God is not the one drawing the boundary line, when God is not the one drawing the boundary line, the lines get blurry and the limits get lifted. When God's not the one drawing the boundary line, the the lines get blurry, and the limits get lifted. Just think about some of the questions that get asked in our culture when it comes to sexual morality. Questions like, why is prostitution illegal? This is a question that is asked in our culture. Why is prostitution illegal? Why has our government decided that prostitution is wrong and against the law and casual sex with a stranger is not. In fact, in some, in some places in our culture, casual sex with a stranger is encouraged and celebrated. You see the inconsistency? A lot of people in our culture see the inconsistency in that. Why is, why is sex with a minor illegal? Why is 18 the magic number and not 16? 
16-year-old can drive. We trust that person to get behind the wheel of a car, but they don't have the, the, the mental capacity to be able to make those. These are the kind of questions that get asked in our culture. Why is it wrong to have one wife at a time? Right? Our government says that that's wrong. Why? Why is the government, why do they have the ability to tell me how many people I can love? Why is sex with an animal illegal? If sex is, and this is what our culture tells us, our culture says that sex is, is just a physical appetite that needs satisfied. Well, if that's true, if sex is just a physical appetite that needs satisfying, then what would it matter? Why are there any limits at all placed on sex? Go to the other side of the argument. Why is adultery not illegal? Even if you think it's wrong, why, why has the government not placed uh, laws on adultery that would punish adultery in the same way that they would punish prostitution? If the argument is, well, we're, because prostitution causes harm, if it's two consenting people, well, you, you take that argument and you, and you, and you tease it out, does, does adultery not cause harm? Cheating on your spouse does not cause harm? Of course it does. Tremendous harm. My point is this. When God is not the one drawing the boundary lines, the lines get blurry and the limits get lifted. Before we can look at what God's Word says about sexual morality this morning, I need you to know that this sermon addresses two different people in the room. Not individuals necessarily, but two different, uh, two different groups of people. If you, if you are a person that has not yet made the decision to follow Jesus, as, you know, to, to trust Him as your Savior and to follow Him as the leader of your life, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, I need you to understand that what we're going to read this morning from the Bible teaches us as a church, me as a Christian, the Christians, that, that it's not our place, it's not my place, it's not the place of any other Christian to judge you for the decisions that you have made when it comes to sexual morality. That's God's place. And what I want you to hear this morning is that God has indeed drawn boundary lines. God has indeed set limits on all kinds of behavior, including sex. And when, when we step over those boundary lines that God has established and drawn, when we, when we step beyond those limits that God has set, no matter what they are, God calls that sin, and sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what creates the broken relationship with God. But I also want you to hear the good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ says to us that we can be made right with God, that we can be forgiven of any and every sin, every thought, every word, every action, 
that God says is out of bounds, we can be forgiven of those sins by trusting in Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that He made on the cross for us. That His sacrifice on the cross satisfies the wrath of God against our sin when we trust in Him. And Jesus proved that when He rose from the dead three days later. So as we talk about the boundary lines that God has drawn, when we talk about the limits that God has set when it comes to sexual morality, it's very possible this morning that you will find yourself on on the outside of those boundary lines. It's very possible that you will find yourself beyond those limits this morning. You just need to know that God is offering you forgiveness from all your sins. He's calling you to a better way of life. God has applied His wisdom to sexual morality. He's given us boundary lines. He's given us limits that are the best way to live life. He's offered that to us. He's offered us a better way to live life than what the culture is offering us. You also need to know He's offering forgiveness when when we've stepped beyond those, those lines and those limits. To those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, this sermon is a reminder to us that God has indeed drawn some boundary lines. That God has indeed set some limits. That God expects us as followers of Jesus, God expects us to live inside the boundary lines. I don't get to draw my own boundary lines. I don't get to set my own limits, and neither do you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If we, if we have this attitude as a follower of Jesus, like if you have this attitude where hey, I'll, I'll take what I like and I'll leave what I don't, you're not following Jesus. You just aren't. If you approach the Bible as something that is culturally outdated, If you've come to the conclusion, well, these things that were written here that we're going to read today, that was from a different time, a different culture. It doesn't apply to me today. This is a new day. I want you to think through this because it's not intellectually honest to come to that conclusion. Here's why. The same boundary lines, the same limits that God established in the Old Testament are repeated again In the New Testament, and here's what that means. That means that there was no change in standard, no change in the boundary line, even though there was a gap of thousands of years, a completely different culture, a different government, a different people group, and yet the standards that God God set then were reaffirmed in the New Testament. They didn't change. So to to say that, well, now somehow that because I'm a different culture and a different generation and there's all these years in between us and that, it's not intellectually honest to come to that conclusion. So wherever you're at spiritually this morning, here's my hope. My hope is that you'll walk out of here this morning with a better understanding of why you and I should not be the ones drawing the boundary lines. Why you and I aren't the ones who get to set the limits for sexual morality. Our culture cannot be trusted. The 
set the limits on sexual morality. When God's not the one drawing the lines, the lines get blurry and the limits get lifted. If you would join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're working our way through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church that he had established. Paul established, he planted this church in the city of Corinth around the year 50 A.D. Spent about a year and a half in this church establishing it, getting things going, establishing leaders. Then he moved on to another city to plant another church. And about four or five years after that, Paul gets word back from some of the people in the church in Corinth that there was some stuff going on that needed to be addressed. And we looked at some of those things already, but here's another example of something that was happening in this, in this church that, that uh, wasn't right and that, uh, that Paul, Paul addresses in this, in this letter. And what's fascinating about this particular issue of sexual morality, uh, it's interesting that the city of Corinth... Keep this in mind, the city of Corinth was very permissive, had like almost no limits when it came to sexuality in their culture. And yet what we're going to read this morning is that they were, they were allowing something to happen in their church that even the city of Corinth would have said, what is going on with you people? That's significant. He says in verse 1 of chapter 5, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. The people in your city are so sexually permissive, there's like no limits, and yet they would even have a problem with what is going on in your church. What was it? I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. Now, depending on the version that you have in your lap, it might be phrased a little bit differently. Having relations with, uh, sexual relations is, is uh, and in this, in this, this relationship, uh, living with his stepmom. That was the problem. This man's having sexual relations with his stepmom. And even as we read that, right, even as we read that, there'd be people in our culture today who would say, so what? Right? You can hear people saying that. So what? What's the big deal? They're not technically related. If you're saying the problem is incest, they're not biologically related. In fact, I don't think we would be completely surprised or shocked that, that someone would make some type of movie about this relationship and win awards. Right? That's our culture. But at this particular time in history, even... Even the sexually permissive city of Corinth would not have been okay with this. But when God's not the one drawing the boundary lines, the lines get blurry. And the limits get lifted. Let's read on. Verse 2, he says, you're proud of yourselves. You should be mourning. You should be, in, you should be ashamed of what's happening and, and sorrowful over, over this relationship. And he says, you should remove this man from your fellowship. He goes on to say, even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in the spirit. 
And as though I were there, I've already passed judgment on this man. In the name of the Lord Jesus, she must call a meeting of the church. I'll be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of the Lord Jesus. You must throw this man out of the fellowship, hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. They want to see repentance in this man's life. Verse 6, he says, your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you, and then you'll be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Right? As followers of Jesus Christ, you're, you're supposed to be pure. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us, so let's celebrate the festival not with the old bread of wickedness and of evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and of truth, this, this church had this very casual attitude towards sexual morality and, and crossed lines that even the, the people in the city of Corinth would not have crossed. And I, I asked myself, well, how did that happen? How did they get to that place where they didn't even see this was a problem? That's kind of concerning. As I was uh, reading different Bible scholars and their thoughts on what was happening in this church and maybe some of the reasons why this was happening. One of the things that kept resurfacing uh, was the influence of a group of people at that particular time called the Gnostics. Starts with a G, G G-N-O-S-T-I-C-T-S. The Gnostics were a group of people at that time who believed that the body and the soul, the body and the spirit were separate. They were not connected. And so whatever you did with your body didn't matter. It was irrelevant to your soul. It was irrelevant to your practice of religion. That's what they believed. And it's possible that that influence, that, uh, that mindset, maybe had uh, some, uh, some sense of impact on the people in this, in this church. The, the reason I think they have come to that conclusion is some of the things that Paul writes in the next chapter. In chapter 6, verse 9, he talks about these different sins that are not acceptable. They're outside the boundary lines. These are actions, these are things that are beyond the limits that God has set. He talks about sexual sin in in verse 9. Those who worship idols, commit adultery, male prostitutes, homosexuality, uh, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, uh, people who are abusive, uh, people that uh, hurt other people. Uh, They cheat people. He says, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you go down to verse 12, and there was this saying in the city of Corinth. It was a popular saying. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, or anything is permissible to me. It's kind of like the the slogan for Las Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? This was like the slogan for the city of Corinth. I'm allowed to do anything. Anything is permissible to me. And they had taken on this attitude. And he says, well, not everything's good for you. Not everything's good for you. We're not supposed to become a slave to anything. Verse 13, you say food was made for the stomach, stomach for the food. You've, you've kind of bought into this idea of you know, the body and, and, and the soul. These aren't connected. He says, you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. 
They're made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by His power just as He raised the Lord from the dead. Don't you realize your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? The answer is never. That should never happen. Don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? The scriptures say the two are united into one. He's referencing the relationship between a husband and a wife. A person who's joined to the Lord is one in spirit with him. Verse 18, here's here's the takeaway from everything that Paul is going to summarize when it comes to sexual morality. He says, run from sexual sin. Run the opposite direction. Don't flirt with it. Don't mess around with it. Don't try to set your own limits. Run from sexual sin. He says, no other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. Sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, was, was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. And I think that's, that's the, the, the point in which you and I have to come to before we'll accept what we're talking about today. We have to be able to answer the question, who gets to draw the boundary lines? Who gets to set the limits? And if we're not willing to accept that, that you, as a follower of Jesus, you don't belong to yourself, if you can't come to that conclusion... If you can't submit to that, then you're going to continue to try to draw your own lines. You're going to continue to try to set your own limits. And the lines are going to get blurry, and the limits are going to get lifted. You don't belong to yourself. God bought you with a high price. What was the price? Jesus died on the cross. He gave up his life. He suffered, and he died on the cross for your sins. You must honor God with your body. You know, I think about what was happening maybe in that culture. We don't know for sure if that's why, you know, the whole thing with the Gnostics, if that's what was influencing them, if they were just, maybe they were trying to be gracious. We're not told what the problem was, why they were ignoring this. But I think we do see something similar today. There are people in our culture that believe that sex is just a physical appetite, just like hunger. And it can be satisfied in a very casual, temporary way, just like I'm hungry, and I'm going to stop at Burger King and get some fast food. And that's, that's what happens when God's not the one drawing the boundary lines. The lines are going to get blurry, and the limits are going to get lifted. If you go back to verse 9, he says that he wrote to them, this is chapter 5, verse 9, I wrote to you already, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Now, this is important, don't miss this. He says, I wasn't talking about unbelievers. I wasn't talking about unbelievers, those who aren't following Jesus, who indulge in sexual sin. They're greedy, they cheat people, worship idols, right? That whole list that we already looked at in chapter 6. If that were the case, if you had to avoid all those people, you would have to go and move to another planet. You'd have to leave this world. He said in verse 11, what I meant is that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer and yet indulges in sexual sin and all these other things, greed, worship idols, abusive drunkard. Don't even eat with such people. Verse 12, it's not my responsibility to judge outsiders, those who are not part of the fellowship of the church, those who are not followers of Jesus. He says, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. 
God will judge those on the outside. That's His job. Let God handle that. But as Scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. It's really, really important we don't miss this. There's two very different conversations that are happening about sexual morality. The conversations that are happening inside the fellowship of the church, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, is a very different conversation than the ones that we would have about this issue with those outside, those who aren't followers of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not our place to to be judgmental towards those who are not following Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Lord. That's God's job. He'll take care of that one day. It doesn't mean that we have to participate in, it doesn't mean that we have to celebrate the sin of others. But we're not supposed to treat people poorly. We're not supposed to treat people with these condescending attitudes. Because they're not living within the limits that God has established for His people. They don't know. However, Paul's very clear, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a part of the fellowship of the church, it is our responsibility to make sure that we are, if need be, having serious, hard conversations with each other when we step outside the boundary lines that God has drawn, when we step beyond the limits that God has set for us. And when Paul talks about that little bit of leaven working its way through the whole batch of dough, what he's saying is to this church, you've created this culture of compromise in your church because you've you've chosen not to deal with the sin in this man's life. Now, I'll be, as a pastor, I'll be the first to admit that, that applying what Paul has written here, applying uh, these hard conversations, and even when it gets to the point of, of saying you can no longer be part of our fellowship, applying those things is tough. It's hard. It's not fun. It's, like, it's definitely not in the top ten anywhere on my list of things that I enjoy about ministry. And I certainly don't think that Paul intends for us to create a, a Gestapo-like atmosphere in our church where you know, we're always looking around, looking for someone uh, to, to mess up so that we can announce it during the morning announcements and shame people. That's not the culture that Paul is talking about creating here. Just sometimes we have to have hard conversations with people about, about sin. Why? Because we love them. That was the whole point of why this man, he wanted them to deal with it so seriously. He wants this man to repent He wants them to wake up before it's too late. Jesus talked about dealing with sin in in Matthew chapter 18. He gave us instructions on how to have these hard conversations with one another. One-on-one. He says you've got to start one-on-one, and and, uh, hopefully that's as far as it needs to go. But if there's not repentance after that conversation, maybe get uh, someone else involved, another trusted Christian, strong believer, get them involved in the conversation and say, look, what you're doing is not right, and you need to, you need to stop doing this, and, and hopefully that's the end of it. And they repent, and you know, that doesn't happen. He says, then you need to get the church involved. And if there's not repentance in that, well, then they need to be removed from the fellowship. Jesus laid that out for us. 
But the goal in all of that, with whatever Paul wrote, whatever Jesus wrote, they're consistent in that the goal is always repentance. Goal's not just to publicly shame people. It's repentance. Because sin, when it's left to grow, it destroys lives. When sin is left to grow, it destroys relationships. When sin is left go, it destroys the testimony of the church. You understand that the testimony of our church is that we're claiming to the world that we are being transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, that he's making us brand new people, right? That's our testimony as a church. And when, when, when we say, well, we're just going to let this particular sin go because it's too hard to have that conversation, what does that do to the testimony of our church when we're trying to say to the community, that we're being transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. That's, that's Paul's point about you can't let these things just go. You know, think about other questions, you know, just from a practical standpoint. Who do you even have these conversations with? And I just want you to understand, he's talking about someone who is in the fellowship of the church. If you're, if you're here this morning and like your first day here, Don't hear me saying, hey, welcome to Grace Fellowship. After the service today, we'd love to have you stop by our connection corner. We have a, a nice mug for you and a really awkward conversation about your sexual behaviors. No. We're talking, we're talking about you know, people that they're, they're, they're part of our church family. They're in the ministry that you serve in. They're maybe in your small group part of the fellowship of our church. And when they step outside the boundary lines, we should, we should love them enough, we should care about them enough to be able to have those hard conversations. And God's not the one drawing those boundary lines. Man, lines can get blurry and limits can get lifted. Let me, uh, I'll kind of conclude with, with this question. I don't expect you to answer it out loud, but what if it was you? What if it was you that got to set the limits, that got to draw the boundary lines? Where would you draw them? Where would you draw the boundary lines? Where would you set the limits? If we were being honest with ourselves, you know where we'd set the limits? We would set the limits where we wanted them to be to suit us and our desires. And they would change depending on the circumstances because that's what we do. And I would have a different set of standards for myself than I would for you, and you would have a different boundary line for yourself than you would for me, it'd be a mess. It would be a mess. If we really want to be wise about sexuality, we need to make sure that we're applying God's truth to the decisions that we're making about sexual morality, because when we don't, those lines get blurry, and the limits, they get lifted. I have a picture up on the screen. I also, if you're following along on the digital notes on your phone or on your tablet, I have the same picture there for you. If you have the paper version of the notes, you'll notice that I have these different, uh, these different actions, sexual morality actions that God describes as sin. Uh, in your paper notes, I actually have the references, the scriptural references there for where God has said that. If you didn't pick that up, make sure you have that uh, before you leave. I put this picture together as, as a visual way of just simply, hopefully, having you see that God is the one who has 
drawn the boundary line, and I did it in, in a heart on, on purpose. I drew that boundary line in the shape of a heart on purpose of sex inside the boundary line of marriage between one man and one woman. That's what God has established as the boundary line. Sex inside that boundary line, sex inside that limit is beautiful, wonderful, and God says enjoy it, be enriched by it. But as soon as we move beyond that boundary line, God says these are the things that are off limits. And in the wisdom of God, in the love of God, there's reasons why these things, because they lead, they lead to harm, they lead to broken relationships, they, they, they lead uh, to destruction in our lives. Sin always destroys stuff. It's not that God just randomly decided to pick certain actions over other ones. He has a reason based in His wisdom for why the boundary line is where He drew it. But we still have to answer the question, who gets to set the limit? Who gets to draw the boundary line? And if your answer is anything other than God, you don't care about this picture. You're going to get irritated by this picture. If you're the one that wants to draw the lines, if you're the one that wants to set the limits. But if you want, if, if you want to... Uh, if you want to live life in a better way in the wisdom of God, then this is going to make a ton of sense to you. Now listen, if you're, not, if you're not a believer this morning, hear me again. The gospel of Jesus Christ is calling you to a better way of life. All these blurry lines that our government, all these blurry lines that our culture has, and these, these weird limits that why this and why not that, that stuff doesn't even bring satisfaction in people's lives anyway. God's calling you to something better. And if you are a believer, just please seriously consider what we've talked about today, that you are called to live a different life in the culture that you live in. You're called to live inside the boundary lines. You're called to live within the limits that God has set. And it's not so you can walk around saying, well, I'm a good person, all the people that are outside that line are terrible people. That's not why. It's because you believe that God's wisdom makes your life better. That's why you do it. I don't know if, if as you're sitting there, you're a believer or not a believer. Either way, if you find yourself this morning outside the boundary line, if you find yourself this morning on the, on, beyond, in some way beyond the limits that God has set, your next step, your next step needs to be repentance. To receive the forgiveness and grace that God is offering. He wants you to have, he wants you to have a better way of life, but it has to start with repentance by saying, to him, I'm sorry, I, I, I've, I've lived outside your boundary lines, and I've, I've gone beyond your limits. I recognize that. I admit it. I've sinned, and I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me. And he will from all of it and give you a fresh, clean start. He wants to do that for you. You'll trust him if you'll let him. By faith, he'll do that for you. 
If, uh, if you go to the notes page sometime today, this week, uh, that I have online, gracefellowship.online, you go to the notes page for today, I have two videos that I posted there that I think are going to be really helpful. If you find yourself in a place in life where, where you know you've stepped beyond where you should, I have two, two videos there. there. There's a guy and a, and a girl, and they tell their stories, two different stories of, of redemption, of grace, of forgiveness that they received from God after they had stepped outside the boundary lines that God had set, and they repented, and they received that forgiveness. Their stories are amazing, and I really think that you would find them helpful if that's where you find yourself this morning. So I would encourage you today, this week, Get on there and watch those stories, and I hope that they will be really helpful and encouraging to you. Why don't we pray together? Lord, I thank you. I thank you so much that we've been able to have this conversation this morning. I know it's awkward. I know it's kind of uncomfortable. I also know that in a room like this, there's been tons of failure. Some of it's known, some of it's not, but there's failure in our lives when it comes to these things. You know, I, I think about what Jesus said about adultery, and he set, this, he set the boundary line at, at a whole different level, a whole different place than what most men would feel comfortable setting it at. He said, Jesus said, if, if we even look at a woman with lust in our heart that we've already committed adultery, he equated that with adultery. Lord, we failed. And so I pray that there's not someone in this room who, who d- feels like they, they can't possibly admit to failure because they don't want to look bad or whatever. I, strip us of excuses, Lord. Strip us of, of all those prideful thoughts right now and just help us step into repentance. Help us step into confidence inside the boundary lines and the limits in which you have set when it comes to sexual morality and any other thing for that matter. Help us to love each other and care enough about each other as a fellowship of believers that if we do need to have some hard conversations with people that we love and care about that are part of our church family, give us the right words to say, the courage to say it, the love in our hearts to say it, grace, but to just not, uh, to, to not ignore those things. Lord, help us to love each other more than that. Thanks again, Lord, for loving us and your grace in our lives that makes forgiveness, that makes, uh, that makes being right with you even possible. Thank you for the sacrifice you made for us, Jesus. And I pray all of this in the name of our Savior. Amen. God bless you, and I hope you have a great day.